The Salem Witch Trials is one of the most famous cases of witchcraft in the United States, but few people are familiar with the witch trials that happened in Abiquiu, New Mexico in the 1700s. Today, we'll talk about some of the events that led up to the church getting involved, the results of the church's investigation, and how the Inquisition punished those who had been accused of witchcraft on this episode of Technically a Conversation. you're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined this week by my lovely co-host, Elena. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Doing good also. Happy to have you on board as part of the Technically a Conversation family. Sorry if my voice sounds a little fucked up. I went to a concert on Monday and my throat still feels a little raw. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I've been to several concerts, so I feel you. Shout out to super friend Alba for joining me. I had never met her before she came down for the concert, but it was a lot of fun hanging out. I also want to say thank you to all of the super friends that have shared our posts on your social media. We had to make some changes to the recording schedule to accommodate Isela's desire to take a step back from the show and Elena coming on board. So we're recording a few weeks before the episode airs to help accommodate everybody's schedule. But you're not forgotten and we appreciate you helping us to spread the word. Keep sharing our post, telling your friends, and leaving us reviews. Yes, please do so. We really appreciate it. Indeed. With all that business out of the way, ready to get started? Ready. Great. Let's get started. So, Elena, have you ever been to New Mexico? Yes, I am here now. That's right. You're joining me from the mean streets of Sunland Park, New Mexico today. (laughs) Have you ever practiced any witchcraft? No, I have not. Would you like to? I can bust out the black candle, spell book, and Ouija board after we're done recording. Sure. I don't really believe in that, but sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) You've heard of the Salem witch trials, right? I sure have. Did you know that New Mexico had their own little witch trials as well? I did not. Shout out to super friend Numfia on the YouTubes for inspiring this episode. The following is from SantaFeNewMexican.com. This, along with all our sources, will be in the show notes. In the year 1764, some women possessed by the devil broke loose in this kingdom. That quote came from Father Francisco Atanasio Dominguez in 1777 when referring to an outbreak of brujería y hechicería, witchcraft and sorcery in New Mexico in the 1760s. Father Juan José Toledo, a Franciscan priest from Mexico City, who had experience with the native people of Mexico and New Mexico, was brought in to investigate. He arrived in Abiquiu, New Mexico, with a manual with instructions of what to look for, but nothing could have prepared him for what he saw. According to his account, there was illness, people suffering from fevers and great thirst, and blackened teeth. Sometimes their stomachs would burst open with insects. Toledo himself claimed that not even he, a man of God, was immune from the evil and also succumbed to the spell of an Abiquiu witch. Let's examine the story and see what we can uncover. But first, Elena, what are your initial thoughts? Well, at first, I when you said Abiquiu, I was like, Abiquiu or Albuquerque? <laughs> Which, uh, fun fact, I lived in for about two years. Yeah, no, Abiquiu is about 
I would say it's probably two hours north of Albuquerque because it's about an hour north of Santa Fe. So it's a, a totally different place. Yeah, I had never heard of it. I had heard about it because there's a brew house that I like their beers from. It's called Monks. I have a couple of the, the beer bottles on top of my fridge and they're based off of Abiquiu. And I had never heard of Abiquiu prior to that. But because of those beers, I do know that there is an Abiquiu and that it does exist. Oh, we totally should have toasted with some of those Abiquiu beers <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after we're done recording. <laughs> so the village in Abiquiu, where these events happened, was made up of Henisaros. According to innermountainhistories.org, Henisaros are detribalized Native Americans who either due to war or ransom were forced into slavery. The Genisaro Pueblo that occupied Abiquiu has lived on the same land for nearly 300 years and is formerly called Santo Tomás de Abiquiu and is 60 miles north of Santa Fe, like I was mentioning earlier. Right. The land was issued to a group of 34 Genisaro families in 1754 by Governor Tomás Cachupín. The 34 families were made up of former slaves and the descendants of former slaves. In the case of the former slaves, they were released from their indentured servitude either due to being too old to be able to perform labor, were married, or paid off the terms of their ransom debt. The former slaves were usually the poorest members of their community, and most had to work menial jobs to survive, such as scouts or interpreters, or members of the Spanish auxiliary military forces. The land grant that was issued by Governor Cachupin, or El Chupis as I like to call him, was one of the few ways that Genisaros could actually own their own property and somewhat improve their economic status. They also served as a buffer between the Spanish and raiding indigenous tribes like the Utes, Navajo, and Comanche. Honestly, who can blame those tribes for wanting to attack the Spanish? They brought them disease, murdered and raped them, enslaved them, and took away their language, belief, and culture. I wonder why they didn't like the Spanish. I wonder. I wonder if uh, this was one of the disease they also brought with them. Uh, that's a good theory. <laughs> Very good theory. In 1978, when Spain and the Comanches made a trade treaty, the Abiquiu settlement also served as a trading post between the Spanish and other indigenous groups. As important as the Genisaro settlement was between the indigenous people of the area and the Spanish, it also exposed the differences not only between the Spanish and Genisaros, but between Genisaros of different beliefs. All of these people lived together, but keep in mind, they all had different customs and spiritual backgrounds. When the witch trials and accusations began in the region, it created further tension between these differences, and the Genisaros sometimes found themselves to be both the accused and the accusers. According to an article by krqe.com, every culture has its versions of witches. In New Mexico, you have a blend of different traditions, beliefs, and cultures from Mexican, Spanish, and indigenous people. Catholic beliefs in Spain were being mixed with demonology, superstition, and folklore, as well as stories from the Jewish and Muslim populations in Spain. When the Spanish arrived in the Americas, they combined beliefs from the indigenous people in Mexico, along with Apache, Pueblan, Comanche, and other indigenous groups. In other words, it was a hot mess, girl. <laughs> Sounds like it. According to Rob Martinez, a New Mexico state historian, the role of the church, especially Roman Catholicism in a place like New Mexico, is very strong. Quote, Witches weren't just about scary stories or scary images. They were a reality for our ancestors in Spain and in Mexico and New Mexico in the colonial period. Catholics deem certain native religions and individuals, mostly women, as being evil. 
Because we are. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) People who were from the lower classes and looked more indigenous or black were also blamed for the indiscretions of those that looked more European or were of lighter skin. The idea of witchcraft and evil, the devil and demons, is invoked in a lot of the history of New Mexico. If a light-skinned or white person did something wrong, it surely wasn't their fault. They must have been under the influence of witches or the devil. So I'm going to try that the next time that I fuck up, although I don't think that I'm light enough to pull it off. Yeah, it seems like nothing's really changed, though. (laughs) Seems like white people still get away with stuff. That is very true and very sad. Very sad. Have you ever tried blaming your indiscretions on witchcraft, Elena? No, but I think I might just start to do that. Although I don't think I'm light enough either to... I mean, according to this story, I'm not light enough to claim that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, who knows? Some of the people that were being accused of witchcraft did use this to their advantage as a way to fight back against the ruling Spanish and religious colonial political systems. It was their way of saying, we're not going to just sit around and allow ourselves to be oppressed. Fuck around and find out, bitches. It gave them a certain agency that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Now we know a little bit of the history and what was going on at the time in general. Let's see what led to the Abiquiu witch trials, and then we'll touch base again with our old friend, Father Juan José Toledo, and see how he's holding up during his investigation after this quick commercial break. And I'm Jane. And we have a brand new podcast called Bedknobs and Broom Flicks, where we talk about witches of the entertainment world. From the horror movies Warlock, Suspiria, The Witch, and The Blair Witch Project. To the more comedic or whimsical, such as Harry Potter, Hocus Pocus, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and The Blair Witch Project. No movie, TV show, or book is off limits. All witches, man witches, sorry warlocks, we're not calling you that, witches brews, witches of history, familiars, and witch-like activity will be discussed as we laugh and have fun talking about the wonderful world of witches. So join us every other week for some fun witchy talk. All witches welcome. If you like weird, spooky, and strange history, then I have the podcast for you. My name is Brenda. And I'm the host of Horrifying History. Are you into the dark side of history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, the paranormal, and unsolved mysteries, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Get your Horrifying History fix by subscribing today on Spotify, Spreaker, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we're back. Did you succumb to any witchcraft, Elena? No, I didn't. Did your stomach burst open with insects during our break? No, I hope it never does, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's good to hear. Kind of appropriate that Bed Knobs and Broom Flicks is uh, one of our sponsors this month since we're talking about witchcraft. Yeah, I thought that was a coincidence. (laughs) Before our break, we teased that we were going to talk about what led to the Abiquiu witch trials. So let's start off with one of the first documented cases in New Mexico, the Land of Enchantment. This was in 1607 in San Gabriel, which as far as I could tell, was where modern-day Albuquerque is now. This is the case of Maria de Zamora, who was accused of witchcraft by her own daughter. Of course she would be. Now, Elena, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a daughter. Is that correct? Yes, I am. 
<laughs> Would you ever consider accusing our mother of witchcraft? Never. Maria's daughter, Lucia, claimed that her mother used witchcraft to try and kill her husband. During the trial, Lucia confessed that her mother gave her powders to give her husband in the hopes of killing him. Wait, whose husband? The daughter's husband or her stepfather? No, Lucia's husband. Okay. On eScholarship.org, I was able to locate a transcript of everything that transpired. Even though KRQE stated it was Lucia that accused her own mother, it was actually Lucia's husband, Diego Robledo. Diego accused his mother-in-law, Maria, of trying to poison him when he found some powders in his 12-year-old child bride Lucia's possession. 12-year-old child bride? Yeah, Lucia was only 12 years old when she was married to Diego Robledo. And how old was, how old was Diego? I mean, not that that matters, but 12 years old, wow. Yeah, I don't know. I, I want to say he was probably like in his 20s or 30s, but he was definitely a lot older than Lucia. That's some pedophile vibes there. <laughs> it is. When Diego confronted his child bride, Lucia told him that her mother was a witch and gave her those powders to induce acute urinary retention to give him a belly ache in the hopes of causing his demise. Lucia was called as a witness in the trial to testify, but none of the other witnesses that were called upon were able to corroborate any of Lucia's claims, and Maria denied every charge made against her. And are we sure that these powders weren't just salt or pepper or onion powder? <laughs> Some kind of sazón. <laughs> For those that uh, don't know Spanish, it's like, oh, mija, your soup, uh, it's lacking tastes, la lacking uh, seasoning. Flavor. Flavor, yeah, there you go. So put these uh, seasonings in it. <laughs> yeah, no, they never really went into detail as to what those powders were. There were actually a lot of problems with the text, and I'll discuss it in a little bit further. Maria denied every charge made against her. She only claimed to use peyote for medicinal purposes and said the extent of her witchcraft was using a broom to ward off evil spirits from her nine-year-old son and Lucia's brother. And coincidentally, her nine-year-old son was also named Diego. The nine-year-old son, why did they think that he was possessed or whatever? They didn't go into detail. They just said that she used a broom to ward off evil spirits. So she just basically, instead of using the chancla, she used the broomstick to just smack it out of him? <laughs> uh, I don't think she got him with chingazos. <laughs> But um, no, I don't know. Maybe it might have been something like um, if you put like a broom near the door or something, like it'll keep off evil spirits. I'm thinking it's some type of superstition like that. Right. Okay. <laughs> and the reason that there were a lot of details that were missing from these transcripts, as a translator stated, there were a lot of abbreviations used and a lot of pages were damaged from the ink bleeding through the pages. And I wasn't able to locate what the results of the trial actually were. How convenient. I don't think that it was a convenience thing. I just think that these pages are like 300 years old or 400 years old. I know, I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the pages were damaged from the ink bleeding through. And um, there were actually pictures of the actual pages of the transcript. And they were almost nauseating to read. Uh, first of all, they were in cursive and ain't nobody do that no more. And the pages looked like they have been wet and the ink was all smeared. There is actually a little community that's built up of people trying to translate and make out the rest of the story, but it seems like it's a very slow process just by how deteriorated those pages are. Yeah, I can imagine. 
I mean, they're from the 1700s, right? These were from 1607. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. It was a hot minute, as the kids would say. Right. Let's go back to our friend, Father Juan Jose Toledo, the priest who had been called in from Mexico City to investigate. Upon arriving in Abiquiu, he encountered Miguel Ontiveros, also known as El Cojo, due to his limp, and Agustin Tagle. Toledo claimed that these men were powerful sorcerers and had Abiquiu in a spiritual death grip. Toledo stated that the devil was roaming free, devouring the souls of New Mexico, and he saw himself as the finger of God sent to cast out the roaring lion. While investigating the illnesses, Toledo claimed that he too came under the spell of one of the Abiquiu witches and suffered physical pains and dark apparitions. He even claimed that one of the witches appeared to him in his room in the form of half-human, half-animal abomination. The witch attacked him in bed and physically beat him. It was so bad that he even visited an indigenous folk healer, or curandera, but he made sure to take a local magistrate with him to make sure she didn't perform more witchcraft on him. The illness and fevers continued, and two of the most powerful sorceress of Abiquiu started posing as curanderas to help some of the people that were affected. They were both Genisara women and had the best names. Do you want to hear them? Of course. One was named Atole Caliente. Ay, que rico. <laughs> the other was Petrona da Comegallinas. <laughs> <laughs> she likes them chicken. Hell yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> finger licking good. Atole Caliente would translate to hot porridge, maybe. I don't know. I've never had porridge. I feel like that's a white people's food. But from what I could find, atole is like porridge, but atole is made of corn and is more of a drink where porridge looks more like cream of wheat. But atole comes in different flavors and is very thick. I remember liking the strawberry atole when I was little. That's funny because my mom was, well, our mom was just telling me that you've been craving atole. Is it because of this story? <laughs> it is, as a matter of fact. While I was doing the research on this story, I discovered there's a, a coco-flavored atole, and that's all that I can think of now. <laughs> yeah, I think she's uh, trying to see if she can find it in Juarez, because she can't find it here. Yeah, I asked her if, uh, since she was in Juarez for a few days, I asked her if she could bring me back some, but she could not find it. Sadface.jpg. Yeah, have you tried seeing if you can order it online? I haven't yet, because uh, the day that I discovered it, I texted my mom and I told her, Hey, if you go to Esmart, can you bring me back some coco atole? And I even sent her like a little picture of it. Yeah. And she was like, yes, mijo, um, I'm supposed to go tomorrow and I'll get you some. But I figured she hasn't brought it up, so she probably couldn't find it or she forgot. Yeah, probably couldn't find it. Yeah. I didn't know you liked atole, though. I, for some reason, I don't remember you drinking it or, or whatever, consuming it when we were little. Was that the same thing as the maicena, no? Yeah. Yeah, that's my Senna. Yeah, my mom used to make that all the time. I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's super delicious. And that coco atole looks fucking delicious. Guacala. I'll stick with chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> now, Petrona la Comegallinas would translate to Petrona the chicken eater. I stand that name. I want to be known as Jose el Comela Pizza. <laughs> At first, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, where is this going? What did you think I was going to say? I don't know, but it starts with B. 
I just uh, I won't finish the word. Okay. And uh, my nickname, Jose El Come La Pizza, would translate to Jose the Pizza Eater. What would your sorceress name be? Come el camarón. <laughs> Come camarones. I don't know. <laughs> you know, we got to go hit up that uh, all-you-can-eat shrimp again. We haven't done it in a long time. Heck yeah. I'll beat you again. I think that's the only time that you've ever out-eaten me when we've gotten to do the all-you-can-eat shrimp. Elena la come camarones. So, going back to the story. Atole Caliente and Petrona la come gallinas posed as curanderas to help some of the people afflicted by the sorcery. But the people only got worse after the women supposedly healed them. Governor Tomás Cachupín, el chupis, became so alarmed that he decided to step in and had all the supposed abiquiu witches arrested. He was like, investigation, shminvestigation. <laughs> he contacted the Inquisition in Mexico City to see if the Holy Office had to intervene. I guess Toledo wasn't able to accomplish shit aside from getting bitch slapped by a witch in a, in a fever dream. Would you like to take a guess, a gander, if you will, at what the Inquisition told El Chupis? Um, I, I have no idea. Nothing. I, I'm blank. I've drawn a total blank. <laughs> <laughs> the response from the Inquisition was described as being sobering. The lawyer for the Inquisition said that this was not witchcraft or sorcery, but it was superstition brought upon by the priests relaxing their teachings. He stated the priests needed to learn the local native languages to better Christianize them and wean them off of their pagan religious practices that could be seen as demonic by some in New Mexico. Since the Inquisition stopped prosecuting Native Americans in the 1530s, there were no burnings at the stake, thankfully, in New Mexico. But sadly, those who were imprisoned didn't get off that easy. They were sent to work in the homes of local Spanish families or in workshops, so in essence, they became slaves again. Of all the sources that I used, none of them explained what this illness was that the people were being afflicted with. Some of the sources stated that a lot of the people living in Abiquiu were very stressed out and anxious at the thought of there being witchcraft in the region. So it's possible that might have contributed to some of the illnesses people thought they were experiencing. Psychosomatic illnesses are very common. The mind is super powerful. Every year when I go to my doctor's appointment, I get nervous and my blood pressure always skyrockets. It wasn't a big deal pre-pandemic, but after the pandemic, I still get a little anxious whenever I'm around a lot of people. I'm already anxious to begin with, so this is added anxiety from what I would consider normal for me. But I wanted to see if there were any epidemics going on at the time, like cholera or some type of flu or something like that. And while I didn't find anything pertaining to Abiquiu, I did discover an article where scientists think they know what caused the illnesses during the Salem witch trials. So I'm thinking maybe something similar was causing the illnesses in Abiquiu. Did you want to hear what that was? Yes, of course. Let's hear it. According to a Britannica.com article, the witchcraft accusation started in 1692 after Betty Paris and Abigail Williams started exhibiting some convulsions and other strange symptoms. Soon after, several other people started experiencing the same symptoms, and the legend was born after accusations of witchcraft started being thrown around. The result was 19 people were hanged, one was crushed by stones, and four had died in prison, all accused of being witches. In 1976, Dr. Linda Copperell of the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute found evidence that the brief and intense illness suffered by many of the people in Salem was not a result of witchcraft. It was the result of something called ergotism, 
which is a disease commonly contracted by rye. As more and more historians looked at all the evidence, they said that with the exception of a few events, which could typically be attributed to groupthink and the power of suggestion, the behavior that was observed is consistent with rye-induced ergotism. So basically moldy bread. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, you're, you're not far away, yeah. It, it's actually a fungus. In 1691, there was a severe winter and damp spring, which is what is usually needed for ergotism to form in rye. And this was what would have affected the rye that was harvested in 1692, which is when the Salem witch trial started. The people of that time didn't know about ergotism, and though the fungus that would have grown on the grain would have caused the grain to be darker, they might have attributed it to the grain just being exposed to too much sun, and ate it, not realizing that it was poison. Ergotism causes many of the symptoms that were being reported, severe convulsions, muscle spasms, delusions, and sensations of crawling under the skin, gangrene, and severe hallucinations. Most of the accused were young women who lacked a fully developed immune system. The doctor, who were religious and probably didn't know about ergotism, blamed it on something he did know, witchcraft. It is possible something similar was causing the illnesses in Abiquiu. As far as I could tell, convulsions weren't reported in any of the Abiquiu cases, but it could be possible that it might have been a cholera outbreak the people were experiencing, or maybe even a disease the Spanish brought with them, and the Genisaros had never been exposed to, and since they didn't have any antibodies for it, they got sicker than a Spanish person would. It did mention that Father Toledo did get sick, but got better after seeing a curandera. Maybe he already had antibodies to that illness, and that's why he seemed to get better fairly quickly. And this was causing st stomachs to explode? That's what uh, Father Toledo said. Okay. Is that it was causing some stomachs to burst open with insects. Oh, I mean, I don't know about that. That sounds like hyperbole to me. But I don't doubt that there were fevers and flu-like symptoms going on at the time. You got to keep in mind these Spanish people were coming and they were exposed to different diseases. I mean, they wiped out huge loads of population just with uh, smallpox. And since the Spanish were had been exposed to smallpox before, it didn't affect them as badly as it affected the natives that were living here in the Americas. These were just my theories. I couldn't locate any sources that actually went to detail about the actual illness, aside from what I mentioned. What do you think, Elena? I don't know. It just sounds too bad that uh seems to affect women or females a lot more than it does males or men. And somehow that makes them targets. And I don't know. That just sucks. I don't know if it has something to do with the way women's bodies are made up, our hormones and all that, and why it causes women to feel these symptoms more so than, than men. Yeah, that's very possible. I was thinking about that too. Maybe it had to do with women just being very young and with all the other hormonal changes that they were going through at the time, it caused them to get sicker than, than men did. But um, I mean, apparently Toledo got really ill and and he even had hallucinations about being bitch-slapped by that witch, and she appeared as a half-human, half-animal abomination. So it doesn't sound like men were completely immune to it. It was probably just a skinwalker. Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. It's possible. Chupacabra. <laughs> but uh, you would have to make a lot of assumptions and assume that skinwalkers and chupacabras exist. Exactly. But, I mean, that goes hand-in-hand hand with witchcraft and all that other nonsense. True. Do you have any other final thoughts, Elena? Uh, the only thing is I hope that nobody curses me with this disease or whatever witchcraft, whatever this is uh, considered or called, because I, I don't want my stomach to explode. And it sounds like these bugs might be maggots or something. I don't know. 
you're like decaying from the inside out or something. I don't know. It just sounds <laughs> disgusting. I know. It sounds like a cannibal corpse cover or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, since Elena said decaying from the inside out, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever find podcasts are sold. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC, email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have a story to share with us, preferably about witchcraft. Or maggots inside your stomach. <laughs> I think you're summoning that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's because I'm bruja. <laughs>